0: Well, good morning again. As I mentioned earlier, we are uh, in the beginning of an eight-week series uh, on "We Are the Church," and it's going to be rooted in some of the most important passages found in what I believe is one of the most important books in the Bible, and that's the Book of Acts. And three key themes that are going to continue to come out in the books of a book, the Book of Acts. Our number one It is a very theological book. It's going to have a lot to say just about the nature of God. It's also an organizational book. We're going to learn a lot about um, how the church, how that early movement organized itself. And I think there are important lessons for us to study as a church that I think has a very deep heritage in rooting itself into the original church in Acts to become the church that was most closely portrayed in the book of Acts. And number three, it's an apologetic book. And if you're not sure what the word apologetic means, that's simply this. It's a defense of the risen Savior. It's the defense of our faith. And so I want to keep these three things in mind as we begin this series today. And we're going to start in Acts 1, and we're going to end up working our way into Acts 2 And the question is going to be this, and I'm going to ask all of you this, to think about it. If I were to pose this question to you, what would be your response? When you think of the word church, what comes to mind? What connotations? What definitions? What images? What symbols? What things come to mind when you think of the church? You see, I think if we were to poll the surrounding communities in our area and we were to ask a hundred people what their thoughts are on what church was, you know what, we'd probably get several different answers, wouldn't we? we get a lot of different ideas, maybe based upon our past experiences, maybe uh, based upon our past um, knowledge and things that we've learned. But here's what I want to pose to you today. And this is key point number one. Central to us understanding what the earliest church was is for us to understand that it was a movement. Okay? It is a movement. And movements do one thing. They move. They move. You see, the early church had no facilities. The first church that was launched by the Holy Spirit had no facilities. It had no staff. It had no hierarchy. It had no meeting minutes. It had no programming. At its very core, the church is and always will be a movement. And it's a movement that is founded on the truth that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to share with everybody around us that he was who he said he was. And that is, he is the son of God. That he lived a pure and blameless life as a pattern for us to follow in our own human frailties. He set that bar. That he is the son of God who was crucified for the sins of God. Of the world, and that three days after his death, he rose from the grave and was witnessed. And this is a key word here he was witnessed by over a hundred people before his ascension into heaven. Now, you think about that. If you had a hundred eyewitnesses who were witnessed, more than a hundred, in fact, a hundred plus eyewitnesses who saw you as the resurrected Christ, that leaves a lot of credibility, doesn't it? And anyone who talks about these conspiracy theories, like this group of disciples just got together and made up that he rose from the dead, you know that 11 of them went to their deaths for him? I have a feeling that there was a conspiracy somewhere, someone would have cracked if that had been a lie. They saw the risen Christ, and they proclaimed and gave their life to share the good news. The baptism that we encounter means the gift of the Holy Spirit, And eternal life for everyone who calls Him Savior. That's the movement. And that's the movement that we are all called to be a part of. To, as Jesus told us in the Great Commission, to go to the ends of the earth, baptizing and sharing the good news of who He was. And as we will study in Acts 1 and 2 today, this was and still is and always will be the church. And we have to remind ourselves of this constantly. The first church in Acts was a movement. And it was launched to change the world by proclaiming the truth that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and that he conquered death. And then he offers everyone who comes to him eternal life. And this is where I think it's very helpful for us to have just a little brief history lesson. You see, the word church comes from the word ekklesia in the original translation in the Greek. And I want to show you a passage in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. And to set this up a little bit, this is a time when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he challenges the apostle Peter with a very direct question. Jesus says to Peter, who do you think I am? And Simon Peter it says in Matthew 16, answered this way. Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus replies to this, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, and here is the Greek word, I will build my ecclesia." Upon you, I will build my movement. And I love this. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's a pretty bold prediction. It's a pretty bold promise. And ecclesia is simply the movement that Jesus predicts is coming. And this movement is going to be proclaiming him for where he is heading. And that is his crucifixion, his resurrection, and the atonement for the sins of the world. Now... As we progress our way through history from this early encounter. We're going to pick up in in Acts 1 in just a moment. And Jesus is going to have spent 57 days on the earth. Being witnessed by this well over 100 people. But I want to just fast forward just a moment to what the church began to become after this proclamation. You see around 300 A.D., When the Roman Empire adopted Christianity, we started to see the development of a very different kind of church. In fact, the word church itself comes from a German word, Kirche, which is the house of the Lord. And so now all of a sudden we go from seeing this as a movement to seeing this as an institution. Now institutions can be okay, but here's one problem with institutions when they're run by human beings. They have the potential to be corrupt, don't they? And for centuries, there are two dynamics that are taking place that are corrupting the church. Number one, power is being hoarded by only a handful of people, the leaders of the church. And you may argue that it looked very much like the days of the Pharisees. Because it's nice in an institution to have power, but the problem with holding too much power is you don't want to give it away. And another problem that comes with that is when most of the people who are being ministered to cannot read, they're not educated... They have no other means but to go and trust the church to provide for them the teaching of the spirit. And so as you can imagine, as the church gets more corrupt, more corruption means more control and more power over the people they're serving. And this is going on for century after century after century until about the year 1500. And I don't know if you've heard of a man by the name of William Tyndale. But William Tyndale was a linguist and a British scholar And he began to realize as he was transcribing Scripture that people in these institutional churches were controlling them. And because they were controlling them, they were internally focused. They were partisanly divided. There were a lot of politics and factions at play. And most certainly there was a lot of corruption with the tithing and the monies that were coming in. And William Tyndale said, I have a goal I have the goal that I want to transcribe the book God's Word in every language possible so that every person can have access to God's Word for themselves. A major moment is beginning to shift in the history of the world. And William Tyndale begins, because he's kicked out of Britain, he goes to Germany, and he begins to transcribe Bibles. And he begins to smuggle them back into England. Now, the leaders of the church at the time aren't real pleased with William Tyndale because by giving the power to the common man, he is taking power away from the institution. And so, as so many people have had happened to them by proclaiming the name of Christ, William Tyndale was tried as a heretic, he was hung, and he was burned at the stake. And his body was thrown in a dumpster, and he was to be forever known as an enemy of the church. But see, that's not the church. What William Tyndale understood was that the church was back to what the ecclesia definition of it was. And that is, it's this movement. And William Tyndale said, I want to spend my life, I want to devote my life, giving myself to make sure that every plowboy, which was a reference to the poor of his day, that every plowboy will have access to God's word. And so the movement continues again. And for the first time in human history, thanks to the printing press, we start to see Bibles being translated, printed, and distributed in more and more reaches of the world. More people have access to God's Word. Because too often people inside the church were controlling the people they were supposed to be serving. And so I tell you all of that because I want to go back now to where Jesus was again. Because Jesus is going to predict that his movement is going to reach the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth could be Whiting Christian Church. The ends of the earth could be a, a, a hut in Haiti. The ends of the earth could be someplace in the Sudan. The ends of the earth could be someplace in Iraq. The ends of the earth could be anywhere in this world. And Jesus predicts this. And so now we're going to look at Acts 1. And we're going to take a look... At what happens 57 days after the after the resurrection, Christ's church launches. And I want to share these verses with you. Here's what we know about those who witnessed Jesus in this moment. Acts 1, 1 through or 6 through 8 says this. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And I love this response. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But listen to what he does say. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I think there's an important word to translate here, and that is the word witness. That's going to be a key part of your life group studies that that I put together for tonight. It is the idea of a witness. And very literally, the Greek translation of this word means like a witness in a courtroom. It is somebody who sees and somebody who hears. And Jesus says, here is your responsibility. You are to witness what you've seen and heard. And you are to go to Jerusalem and to Judea And two, yes, Samaria. If you remember our study of Jesus and the woman at the well, where was she from? Samaria. How did people in Jerusalem treat people in Samaria? Yeah, I mean, we we even have to go to Lincoln, Nebraska, you might say, if you're a Hawkeye fan. Yeah, you do. You go everywhere. You go to the ends of the earth proclaiming that there is a day coming where I'm going to return. And so here's the scene in Acts. Here's Jesus. Now think about this. Do you remember what you were doing two months ago? Hopefully you do. Two months ago, it's January 11th. This is right before Thanksgiving. You have a pretty good idea what was going on in November, right? Just two months ago. Jesus is saying this less than two months after he's risen from the dead. This is really fresh in what's going on in the people around him. Here's Jesus, just crucified. He's been crucified by these religious leaders who hated him. And over 120 people are gathered, and they are the witnesses of what he has done. He has resurrected. And he's told them that the prophecy of this movement is to take him to the ends of the earth. And this is the establishment of what we know as the ecclesia, the church, the movement. And here's the deal. You and I, in every walk of our lives, in everything that we do, you and I are part of that fulfillment of a movement that is going to keep on moving. So now let's take a look at the gathering of Pentecost. A hundred people gather and pray. And it's Pentecost. And as we know, all nearby towns would come to the center of Jerusalem. And they gathered in one place. And they gathered there to worship. And we read in Scripture that the Holy Spirit comes in might and He comes, in, and it comes in power. And notice what happens. What happens to all the people at Pentecost during this time? What are they doing and speaking? They're speaking in tongues, right? And you know what the comment or the response was from somebody there? They, yeah, they've had too much to drink. Peter says, no, that's not the case. The Spirit is filling them up. Now, I think this is significant, and I found this as an interesting note. What's significant about Pentecost is the true literal demonstration that our faith, that this movement is not included into one language or one culture or one group. That moment at Pentecost signifies the collection of all languages, all cultures, all groups. This is a movement of God that begins on Pentecost and Peter We're going to get to Acts 2 here in just a moment. Peter sees the opportunity on the first day of this church. And he preaches this message. And you know, I'm smart enough to know that when someone says it much better than me, I'm going to say it the way they said it. So if you'll permit me, I'm going to preach to you right out of the words that Peter preached that day. I think that would be appropriate. I want to take a look at Acts chapter 2. And I want to start with verse 22. Peter is addressing the crowd. And he says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, by wonders and signs, which God did through and among you, through him, as you yourselves know. He's reminding them of who this Jesus was who just was with them. And he says, this man was handed over to you. By God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You know, if we're ever trying to figure out how to just preach the gospel, there's the five verses that we need right there. It's exactly what Peter describes. Peter preaches the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes back to the Old Testament, and he predicts the day that this would be coming, not just for the Jewish people, but for the entire world. And then if we move forward just a little bit to Acts 2.32, listen to what Peter says now. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and now hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make enemies, a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Savior. So if we put this into context, this has just happened two months before Peter has spoken to this crowd. And he makes it very personal. He's recalling to them that this Jesus was just with us two months ago. And then in 2.36, you see him get very personal. He says, you, you crucified him. You could have stood up for him, and you didn't. And he's the proven Messiah. Now, if you're the crowd at this moment and you're hearing this, you can imagine the conviction that you must be feeling right now, right? There's a conviction that comes knowing, we just crucified the Son of God. What are we going to do now? And I equate this to those moments that every one of us has in our lives where we have made choices and we get stuck in those choices and we know it's because of our poor choices or our sin that we simply say, what are we going to do now? We've all been there. We've all had those moments. And here's my absolute favorite verse in all of the Bible. The people who hear Peter preaching ask him a very important question. They start speaking up, what should we do? How can we get rid of our guilt? How can we make this right? And listen to what Peter says in response. In Acts 2:38 Peter says this. He doesn't tell him, "Ah, oh, you need another Bible study." <laughs> he doesn't tell him, "Ah, oh, you need to hang around with more people who can, you know, make this better." Here's what Peter says to them directly. Peter says, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness Of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, he said, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and get this 3,000 in that day. The church launches. And it launches because there's one thing that holds us all together as believers in Christ. It's not our buildings. It's not our programs. It's not our own gifts. It's not our own talents. It's this simply put Jesus is the movement, He's the ecclesia. And it is a movement that is taking the gospel of Jesus' life, His death, and His resurrection, and we take it to the world. That's the church. As simply, I think, as we can put it, the church takes the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to every corner of the earth. So every baptism every service, every time we share the love of God, every time we teach, every time we visit the sick, every time we visit someone in the hospital or in prison, every time we act. Don't forget this is the acts of the apostle. Every time we do this, we participate in the movement of the Spirit, in the movement that Jesus predicts. And here's what Jesus predicts that comes true. The church is... And always will be the movement around one idea. That Jesus is the resurrected Christ and the son of the living God. You see, God does reside here. He resides in this house. It is his house. Years ago, our forebears built this house for him and for us to worship in. But the temple of God isn't just this house. Because of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes through our baptism, the temple of God is in you and the Spirit of God resides in you and it resides in me when we call on Him as Lord and Savior. You see, we make the mistake of differentiating what's going on in here with what we're called to do out there. And as Christians, we need to be very careful to make sure that what we learn and what we, how we grow here is going to have an impact on the world that we see out there. It begins by building relationships with people who don't know Christ. It begins with sharing our stories and being authentic and honest about our own shortcomings. It's about sharing our faith when the opportunity comes. And it's about the conversations that continue to bind us together. You see, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit through baptism. And Paul reminds us in Galatians 5.22, we opened up our prayer this morning, that the fruits of this Spirit that we are filled with include love, And joy and self-control and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. You know, I have one thought as I think about our church and I think about the ways that we look forward to moving our church. I think every time we discuss our church, we should start with this prayer. Father, bring this spirit inside of us. Bring the spirit inside of us so that when we sit and listen and talk and plan and grow, you are filling us with love and joy and peace and self-control. Kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. That's how we grow. So to close today, I, I want to share with you a story about a friend I met this week. Um, I got a text earlier this week about a man dying in a hospital, and because of the love of uh, a physician at this hospital who wanted to make sure that this man had a chance to receive the gospel. Uh, I was given a chance to share it. And so one afternoon I went this week and I sat down with him and I I held his hand and and I introduced myself. And right away as I introduced myself, this man kind of perked up and he said, Ah, yes. He goes, I know who you are. He goes, I knew your grandfather. And your grandfather was a very kind man. Now, you remember this verse I shared earlier about the blessings of generations after generations. My grandfather was one of those people who actually feared public speaking more than he feared death. (laughs) And those of you who knew him might remember, he was a very quiet, gentle, kind man. But there was something about my grandfather that rubbed off on this man laying in this hospital bed. And right away, when he recognized me, he recognized my grandfather. And all I can think about, and I I actually prayed to my grandpa about this this weekend, because, you know, if my grandpa had been a scoundrel to this guy... (laughs) I wonder how he would have quickly responded to me when I walked in and introduced myself. But immediately it opened up a door. And so we sat down and we talked about life. We talked about his family. We talked about memories. And as we continued to talk, I finally just got to the subject. I asked him about his faith. And what I've learned in times I've visited people in the hospital and people in the nursing home, people are sort of at that edge of their life where they're about ready and they know, and you ask them about their faith. I asked him about his, and I get a common response, because they kind of know why I'm there. They, they know what I'm getting to. And so he says to me, well, you know, I, I know Jesus. But I'm never sure what that means when someone says that to me. So I dug a little deeper. I said, Leonard, I'll tell you what. I know you know Jesus, but I'm going to ask you, do you believe that Jesus loves you? Now, when you ask someone that question, that changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. I said, do you believe that Jesus loves you so much that if you believe in him, you can have eternal life with him in heaven? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he loved you enough to die for you? And as that conversation went, um, we finally got to the point where I said, Acts 2.32 gives you this promise, if you're baptized into Jesus... You get the Holy Spirit and you get eternal life. And I got to baptize him. And, and here's why I'm sharing this with you. Because there's a moment when we as a movement celebrate when someone makes that decision. And I went back this morning because I don't know how much time he's got left. But I went back this morning um, here before church and I sat down with him again. And you know, I said, Leonard, I want to follow up with you a little bit. Because I don't want you to feel like what I did the other day was just a transaction. Like I just came to, you know, save you and then move on. I said, Leonard, I said I didn't come to save you um, because I don't have that power. Only God can do that through the work of Jesus on the cross. But I said, I just came because I love you. And I want to, I want to see you in heaven someday with my grandpa. You see, my job in this is just to love. It's God's work to save But it's my job and it's your job. It's our job as a movement to love and to share and to invite and to serve. That's the church. You see, someone on that medical staff, like many people on the medical staff of that hospital, because of their deep love for the patients there and because of a a faith that binds them, They told me about this man who was facing the end of his life. And the person who told me this did this because he's filled with a spirit that calls him to care not only for the spiritual needs of his patients, but also their physical needs. And all of this stems from the Holy Spirit. It all comes from the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is referred to 62 times in the book of Acts? And I think that's significant because without the spirit moving in us, we are powerless to move the gospel in this world. We're powerless. The spirit moves when the body demonstrates the fruits of the spirit. You see, you and I make it much more difficult to have the ability to share Christ when we don't have the credibility as living as Christ did. And that's why I'm so thankful that however many years ago my grandfather encountered this man's life, he saw Christ in my grandpa because it made it a lot easier for me To give him the gospel because of what my grandpa did for him without saying a word. It's cool stuff. And I share all of this because to me, this is what the church is. It's what the church does. We each bring our talents, we each bring our gifts, we each bring our simple acknowledgement that Jesus died for us and we let Him use our lives. We need to see the Holy Spirit move in that hospital in Ottawa. And we need to see the Holy Spirit move in the school across the street, and in the school at Westwood, and the school at West Minoan, and the school at Lawton Bronson. And we need to see the Spirit move in the, in the people who work at the nursing home, and in all the businesses where we're going to go to tomorrow, and all of our families, and all of the places where we reside when we're not in this house. We are the movement, we are the church. The world needs us offering the one thing we are called to give as disciples. As followers of Christ, we are to give the hope of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And to the best of our own limitations, and we all have them, believe me, we all have them, we are called to follow His way and show the world His way through our lives because we are His church. And if I can leave you with one last thing, if the church is a movement, then as I said before, movements do one thing, they continue to move And the movement that gathers inside these walls must move to a world outside of them that desperately needs to see this movement lived out. You see, we dispense grace. We offer the world the risen Christ and we do it through the fruits of the Spirit. That's the only way it can work because our humility is required to allow God to use us. What Jesus predicts comes true. The church is and always will be the movement of one idea, that Jesus is the resurrected Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I'm going to ask a question to close here today, this message. Um, and I don't want to play on emotion. Um, I, I don't, don't ever think that's the right way to go with it. But I want to ask a very direct question. If you're sitting here this morning and you've never made that decision... You've never made that step to be baptized. You've never made that step to let God fill his Holy Spirit inside of you, to turn from your life and move to a life of joy and peace and self-control, faithfulness, all those fruits. I'm going to give you this encouragement in this prayer. Will you consider doing so? I told this gentleman the parable of the workers. It doesn't matter when you make the choice. It's just a matter of when you do it that when you do it, the rest of your life changes. If you're still in that moment where you need to make that choice, I want to encourage you to do so. I'm going to make myself available. Um, Josh is going to make himself available after this service today. And we're just going to be with you, to pray with you, to help you take those next steps, if that's where you believe you are in your life. And for those of you who've made that decision, here's my encouragement to you. What ways can you continue to fill yourselves with the Holy Spirit? So that you can take the promises that we learn in Acts 1 and 2 to become part of a movement that's gonna take this to the ends of the earth. Will you pray with me? Father God, uh, we are so thankful this morning for your blessings. We are so thankful to be part of a movement. And we come from many walks of life, we come with many experiences, we come with many heartbreaks, we come with many life experiences. But we all come together at the foot of the cross for the same reason. We come here to worship you. and We come here to recognize that you are the risen Christ. That it is only through you that salvation is possible. But through you, not only is there eternal life in heaven, but there is a life of abundance here on earth. And it's that good news that makes us want to share everywhere we go. Thank you for the spirit filling this room today. And thank you for all of your blessings. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.